Thank you, John. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to New Life. It's uh, great to have you guys here today. It's cold, cold winter morning. Can't believe it's winter already. Uh, my name is Young. I'm lead pastor here. If we haven't met yet, and it's great to be able to welcome you in. Um, we are, I guess, uh, pretty much at the end of signing up for WinterCon. Um, it was supposed to be the final week of signups last week, but I believe it's been extended by one week. So today is the absolute last day. I think we're nearly full as well. So uh, do get over there, sign up. Um, I think we still have a few hoodies as well, so do sign up and get some hoodies. Um, that's the only way that you can actually get the hoodie. You don't get it just through signing up for WinterCon, so do make sure you sign up for that. And I think today is also the last day of PG2 mentoring signups. Yeah, there's a lot of signups today. Um, there's a lot of final weeks of signups today. Um, I think that the PG2 mentoring thing that Witness is kind of leading and, and enabling you guys to do is a really important thing, um, an important part of the culture that we want to start building up here at New Life, of being able to meet with one another, uh, point each other to the gospel, and help people to look to Christ, um, especially for our younger brothers and sisters, and for us as older brothers and sisters to be able to do this. Now, the title for today is Forgiven for Giving, as you can see on the screen behind me. Um, let's read today's verse together. We'll meditate on it, and then I will lead us in a prayer. So it's Matthew 6:12. We're at that part of the prayer now. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So why don't you take a few seconds to meditate on this and then I'll pray for us. Uh, Father, there's so many parts of this prayer that are just so crucially a part of the Christian faith that we hold to, and yet sometimes they feel like they're from another realm altogether. And when we talk about forgiveness, it seems altogether just so familiar to us, and then at other times it feels so foreign to us. And when we talk about debt, we know about debt, and yet, when we talk about it in the context of church, we wonder about it, and we wonder about it for ourselves, what it means to be in debt. Lord, when we pray to you, forgive us our debt as we have forgiven our debtors, would you teach us what that means, and would you teach us how this changes us to pray this prayer? We wanna be a people that live this out, we want to be a people that live out changed lives. And we want to know, Lord, what it means to be forgiven by you. Holy God. That our hearts could be made whole once again. These hearts that you loved when they were at their darkest. We want to be brought into the light with you, God. So we pray that you would guide us, that you give us great wisdom as we open up the scripture today 
that you would help us, Lord, to bear these hearts before you and before one another, that we, we would be restored, and that our hearts will be renovated in you. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A bit of a, an explanation or a question about the title today. What is forgiveness if not forgiving? You know, what is forgiveness if it's not for giving to one another? Now, you might not be surprised to hear us talking about the topic of forgiveness. You know, we're at church. It kind of feels like we're supposed to talk about forgiveness. It makes up the building blocks of our faith. Um, particularly when we meditate on the verse today, Matthew 6, 12. You know, it's very obvious we're going to be talking about forgiveness. But something inside of you might still feel a little bit uncomfortable with this notion still. Okay, it might be a very small corner of your heart that you keep hidden away uh, most of the time where you might leave a particular memory about things that were done against you, things that were done to you. Or maybe it's a huge part of your identity and you kind of recoil you know, in disgust when you think about even the thought of forgiving someone who wronged you. Do you know what it means to be a forgiven person? Are you a forgiving person? Writing an article in a magazine called Comment, um, Pastor Tim Keller, he points out two influences uh, that are on screen right now that make forgiveness problematic in our culture today. And I'll identify them. Um, most of you would have probably already read this now. Our therapeutic culture and a rising shame and honor culture. And if you're unfamiliar with this, that's okay. Like I'll take some time to explain it before making a comment on them. So the first factor against forgiveness in today's culture is our therapeutic culture. And then the second influence is this rising shame and honor culture that some call the new secular religion. And so religion is not just the domain of religion anymore. It's kind of within atheism too. You know, it becomes a new thing that dominates cultural conversation. So our culture has continually started to look inward in order to forge some sort of meaning, some sort of identity. Okay, rather than hearing it from outside, rather, we've tried to develop something inside. And this has kind of been to the detriment of community. If we're not listening to one another, and if we're looking inside, then it will be to the detriment of community. So this has resulted in this cultural good, which looks to not how an individual can help others, can contribute to the community, but instead, an individual will make demands of the rest of society, people around us, to value and to honor an individual's interests and basically speak to their wants, their desires. In other words, we've taken a therapeutic view where everything exists to benefit us, the individual. And the push is towards individualism. There's this consumer mentality of buying up what we want, living for me. It's even infiltrated our faith as well. When we talk about church, with individuals asking, what's in it for me? When thinking about things like serving and volunteering, how does it make me feel? 
You know, do I feel fulfilled because I'm serving? Or trying to find the right church that will meet their needs rather than seeing how can they actually help to fulfill the needs of a church, of a community? So it's all become a part of the way that we talk, the way that we think. Now, true Christian living stands in very stark contrast to this. You know this, right? Where the church lives and breathes as this present day glimpse into the future. This future reality of this world of love, of community, self-sacrifice, all under the lordship of Jesus. Now, sin still exists in us today within the church, and this harms our relationships in all sorts of ways. Most of the time, it pushes us towards that very same selfishness. It pushes us towards that individualism, towards a lack of consideration towards others. And it makes us focus on ourselves instead of those around us. But the Spirit, living inside of Christians, reveals a better way to us. Opening up our eyes to the deadliness of sin, causing us to turn towards forgiveness, reconciliation. In a lot of ways, the things that we talk about, the things that we practice in church don't make sense to the world around us. Who can make sense of reconciliation and forgiveness, especially when we're so hurt, especially when the culture around us tells us what's in it for you? That second area of influence for today's culture, this might be a little bit more unfamiliar, or maybe it is more familiar because we're, you know, most of us are Asian. Um, it's this rising shame and honor culture that com- comes out of our therapeutic culture. So because we believe that individualism and our own needs and wants, our own self is the most important thing, and we look for society to value and honor our individual identities, our individual interests, anything that threatens these things in our eyes becomes evil. Anything that threatens it. And so we see ourselves as victims of those who have power. And we say that the biggest victims should receive the most honor instead. And conversely then, those that have power or have made victims should be given shame. This is in the cultural narrative today. You know, any sort of news story that you read, anything that you dialogue with people about, this rising shame and honor culture will dominate the conversation. Now, please don't get me wrong when I say this and believe that we should be against bringing sin into the light. Clearly, this is biblical. Yes, we should bring sin into the light. And we should not participate in blaming victims. But there's something very wrong within our culture today when cancel culture makes it so that forgiveness and reconciliation are impossible. (laughs) These are the very foundations of the faith that we claim today. Forgiveness and reconciliation. And if we make it impossible, there's something very wrong. Because the kingdom of God is built on this economy of forgiveness. If you look back to last week, there's this chiastic structure of the prayer that we talked about. Um, A couple of weeks ago, uh, we saw how the prayer, your kingdom come, corresponds with this other part that we're looking at today. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And the meeting point is on earth as it is in heaven. 
So the very nature of the kingdom is forgiveness. We can't have a kingdom without forgiveness. We need this forgiveness because we're called upon to fulfill God's law. And God's law exists so that we can actually know his holy nature and his will. It also goes on to serve as a mirror into our own nature and will, our sinful nature, our will to disobey. And this points clearly to this need for a savior to come, a savior who will extend forgiveness for the debt that we owe. Matthew 6, 12 says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The part of the prayer that we're looking at today seeks forgiveness for debts and our debtors. And you might ask the question, what is this debt that we owe? What are we talking about when we talk about debt? If you're unfamiliar with debt, I'm very happy for you. It's when something is owed, usually in exchange for something. Many of us have experienced some sort of debt in our lives, whether it's uh, for the older of our congregation in the loans that we take to buy a home or the loans that we take to get educated. Many of you guys are experiencing that now, but it's kind of in the back of your minds because you're not really working to get rid of it yet. Or maybe if you haven't experienced these things, on average in Australia, all of us were born, right? The cost of raising a child from birth till they're 18 is on average around $300,000. Now usually your parents won't keep track of these things and ask you to pay back the full amount, hopefully. But maybe we can think of this as some sort of a debt of gratitude towards them for spending so much money on us. Some of us, our parents have spent more money, some of us a little bit less. The debt we owe to God though is greater than any of these things, whether monetary, whether emotional, whatever it might be. We're created by our Father in heaven. We're knit together in our mother's womb, the Bible tells us. And so we owe it to him to love him with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our minds, all of our strength. And to not do these things is to enter into debt. And from the very beginning, we entered into this economy through Adam and Eve in the garden. Early Christian scholar Origen, he put it this way, there's not a single hour, day, or night when we are not a debtor. While we're alive, there's not a single hour, day, or night when we are not a debtor. So since the fall of humanity, no mere human being has been able to keep the law of God perfectly. None of us. This law that reveals God's holy nature and his will, none of us have been able to keep it perfectly. Instead, we consistently break it, whether in thought, word, or deed. Certainly, like if we look over the last week, I'm sure we can take inventory of how we've broken the law in some way. But God, he exists in this perfection forever of love, grace, justice, and holiness. And none of these things, none of these attributes of God can be broken 
or have their standards lowered in order to meet us. Because if he were to do this, you understand, he would no longer be perfect. He cannot lower his standards of justice, of grace, of love, holiness, in order to match us. Does that make sense? He's perfect. His very nature demands holiness. He demands that all of these things be given by his image bearers as well, by us. And to break from this would be a violation that demands uh, punishment to satisfy his perfect justice. So these things are all held in tension. His justice demands that a payment be made. And so for us, there's only one way to escape this punishment of our sins and to be brought back into God's favor. The law demands perfect obedience, and so disobedience would demand that perfect justice be satisfied. Now pause here for a moment, and let's rewind it back to a little bit earlier in the sermon when we're talking about this culture. Our culture has made forgiveness disappear from the cultural norm more and more. It's harder and harder to forgive. It feels like, where is forgiveness in the news? Everything is about demanding justice. We demand justice for this. We cancel this person for this. There's no forgiveness. And the only way even a hint of forgiveness can be shown is if the offender comes to us begging on their hands and knees, broken and contrite, acknowledging all their wrongs, and even then, we might only forgive them if what they did was an honest mistake. If we can see it, if we can understand where they're coming from, then we might forgive them. But if they intentionally harmed us in some way, there's no way that we can forgive them. This is our cultural norm. Our therapeutic culture has no room for this other person. We think only of our own individual good. And because this person offended or hurt us, we're only going to extend forgiveness to them if it's good for us, if it brings us some sort of victory, if it brings us healing, if it brings us honor. Otherwise, we cancel their very existence, cast them far from us in our hearts, and give them no way back to live in reconciliation with us. Now this might be okay if we were all perfect in all of our judgments, if we were never wrong, and if all we did was perfectly good, then we could make such a judgment, and we could say, all right, there's no way back. But the only one who had this right is God. And yet his perfect mercy, again, held in tension with the rest of his attributes, means that he doesn't wipe us from existence. Instead, he has another way. He reconciles us to himself and delivers us from sin and death by the Redeemer, his son, Jesus Christ. He initiates, not waiting for us to come back on our hands and knees and beg for forgiveness. He first sends his son to pay the debt. This is the first act. He's not waiting for us to beg. Forgiveness can only be extended by the one who has offense done against them. 
and it means a complete wiping of the debt that was owed, and then the relationship's restored. So rather than canceling us, he cancels our debt and gives us far more than we can ever imagine with our therapeutic minds. Now, I don't know, when you read Matthew 6, 12, when we're meditating on it in the first couple of minutes during the sermon time, I don't know if you can quite grasp the magnitude of this prayer that we're praying. I don't know if I've grasped the magnitude of it. This whole week, as I've been praying this prayer, forgive us our debts. This is one of the boldest prayers that we can pray. Like throughout this model prayer that we've been doing together, This is one of the boldest prayers that we can pray if you consider the reason why the fall happened, why we live in this fallen world now, why we live in this cancel culture now. If you consider those reasons, if you consider the fallen condition of our hearts, what a prayer. And then it's answered. That's the crazier part. It's actually answered with the one who pays our debts being the one who teaches us this prayer himself. A couple of psalms uh, drove this home for me this week. Maybe they can help you to grow in your prayer language as well. First one comes from Psalm 32, verse five. It's on screen there for you. Psalm 32, verse five reads this. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You think about how hard it is to forgive when we feel wronged. I'm sure that all of us have extended forgiveness at some point or have been asked for forgiveness. And you think about how difficult that is. And then you consider how our perfectly holy God forgives our guilt. Offense is taken when the person that's wronged is in the right, usually. When their standards for good are high, And God's completely in the right, and his standards are perfect, and yet he forgives. Psalm 103, which um, our praise leader Jackie read to us a little while ago, verses 10 to 12 reads this. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve, or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Where we would cancel a person's entire existence and remove them from our hearts and minds completely, our God instead removes our transgressions as far as the east is from the west and he bridges the gap that we created that we can draw near to him once again. The kingdom of God is built upon this forgiveness that he initiates. And if this warms your heart in this moment, then you're moved by the Holy Spirit to accept this forgiveness. You can accept the forgiveness that he has for you by having faith in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross in your place. This is the salvation that he offers to us in the gospel of grace. But there's a few implications to this prayer that we pray. 
being forgiven demands something of us. So I ask you again, are you a forgiving person? If we're not willing to forgive others, I dare say we're not asking God for forgiveness. Matthew 6, 12 reads this, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. When we stand inside the forgiveness that Jesus has afforded us, can we really look to our brother, our sister, fellow image bearer of God, and say to them, you don't get to be inside this forgiveness. What have we done to deserve this forgiveness that we can lock people out? As recipients of grace that we couldn't earn on our own, can we in one breath pray for forgiveness that we don't deserve ourselves and in the next say, no, but that person, they deserve punishment, not forgiveness. Can we say, I stand in light of the cross before you, Father, but this person, they have to stand in the shadow of their sins, of their offense towards me. If our hearts incline in that direction, it's quite telling. We don't know what being forgiven means. We have no idea, we haven't been transformed. We've heard the words, but our ears are deaf to it. Our hearts, are still not transformed because forgiveness is forgiving to others as well. To even pray this model prayer that Jesus teaches us is to pray forgiveness for ourselves in the same way that we extend forgiveness towards other people. True repentance results in the fruit of a forgiving spirit. And that's forgiveness without bitterness, or shame remaining in our hearts. Forgiveness, the likes of which we see from our Father towards us. Now perhaps we feel that today's culture makes it a lot harder for us to forgive than it did way back then in the Bible. But our culture's shift towards unforgiveness isn't as big as we might believe. After humanity is cast out from the garden in the book of Genesis, we meet this guy, Lamech, from the line of Cain. Genesis 4 reads this. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, pay attention to my words. For I killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is to be avenged seven times over, then for Lamech, it will be 77 times. Lamech sings this song that reveals his heart's inclination towards resentment and revenge rather than forgiveness and reconciliation. And in truth, this pictures all of us, all of humanity. We would rather seek revenge than reconciliation. But later on in the Gospel of Matthew, we see something really interesting. Matthew 18, then Peter approached him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? Surely at this point, Peter's thinking, I'm being so generous with my forgiveness. Seven times. Like imagine someone 
doing something wrong to you seven times and each time you're like, I forgive you. I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Then the master that servant had compassion, released him and forgave him the loan. Forgave him, he wiped it clean. He didn't ask for it back. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. There's this connection all the way back to Lamech and his song of resentment and revenge, as he suggests seven and 77 times. 77 times over, he'll get revenge. And Peter, you know, he must believe that even saying seven times is enough. But Jesus tells him, no, it's not just seven, but 77, a reversal of what we see Lamech talking about, this condition of the human soul that moves us from being subhuman in the way that we expect forgiveness to happen to becoming truly human. Instead of being ruled by passion and vengeance to becoming those who will be compassionate and forgiving instead. In the parable of the unforgiving servant that Jesus tells Peter, it suggests to us, we're the ones who truly suffer most when we're unwilling to forgive. We are the ones that suffer the most. That bone-chilling comment at the end there. Christian ethicist, Lewis Smeets, he writes this, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner is you. If we can be moved in our heart by the Holy Spirit to forgive, then our God will give us the grace to carry this forgiveness out. Now this is really hard stuff. Forgiveness is tough because it's so personal to us. But perhaps being here today, together, we can actually do this together. Why don't we take some time to pray together this morning. If you'll join with me in prayer now. And in our prayer today, I'm gonna ask you to draw up some images in your mind. 
This might be a little bit tough, but join with me in this. Let's pray for one person that you have a hard time forgiving. So I want you to imagine yourself at the foot of a mountain, looking at this person that you can't seem to forgive. Imagine that person's face, you're looking him in the face, you're looking her in the face, and you know you just can't seem to forgive him. And so you look to your Father God and you pray, and you tell him exactly what this person did to you. Do this, do this in your mind. Close your eyes with me and imagine this person and pray to your Father God, telling him exactly what this person did to you. And go ahead and tell your Father what you want to see happen to this person honestly. Perhaps in your heart you feel like Lamech and you want to see this wrong avenged 77-fold. And your father, he has compassion on you. And he tells you, all right, don't look to this person, but instead, look to this mountain that you're in front of. And we'll go to the top of it together. We'll clear your head. And at the top of this mountain, you're gonna find this majestic tree. So you go to the top, and you find at the summit, a cross, and the Son of God, Jesus, is hanging from this cross, and you know what's expected of you. So in your mind, go ahead and look Jesus in the eyes, and tell him honestly how hard it is to forgive. And Jesus tells you, he understands. He understands how hard it is to forgive. But that he'll do the hard work of forgiving on your behalf if you'll allow him. So you hear this and you descend back down to the base of the mountain. Now talk to the person who hurt you. And invite him or her to the top of the mountain with you. So you both arrive at the summit and now both of you look to Jesus and you can pray to him. Jesus, forgive this person's debts just as you've forgiven mine. Now you can hear Jesus say to you, I forgive. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are you as you forgive, for in doing this, you're becoming more and more like me. Father, 
I want to pray on behalf of new life. That you would forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Forgive us and help us to forgive here on earth as it is in heaven. We know that your kingdom is built upon this economy of forgiveness. And we know that through your son Jesus, we're sons and daughters of this kingdom. So we want to be known as people of forgiveness as well. It feels difficult most of the time when we try to forgive. And that's why we know it has to be a work of God. And so we turn to you, asking that you'll enable us to forgive. Help us, Lord, to experience this peace that transcends all understanding in our hearts as we know that we've given it over to you. May we live as truly forgiven people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, forgiveness in the kingdom of God, it's not mere words, but it's action. And it's relational restoration as well. So because of this, we're not just told that we're forgiven. We're shown this by this invitation that he extends to us to join him at the table where we can share in a meal with him, to eat our daily bread together with him. We're gonna take part in this today. We're gonna take part in communion. The communion is this God-ordained ceremony. It comes from the final meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. It's a meal that pictures the forgiveness that God has for us. Think back to how our Lord Jesus invites all 12 of his disciples to eat with him. Whether coward or liar or traitor, he invites them all. The forgiveness is made available for all and reconciliation to come and dine at the table with our God. The invitation's open. As Jesus came, died, and was resurrected, he took on the debt of all of our sins and gave us in exchange the reconciliation on life that was his. So what we partake in today is a God-ordained ceremony that's a sign and seal of the grace that we receive from God. So we reenact today together the gospel of grace and in this we experience a renewal of grace which helps us to understand, to remember and love all that Jesus did for us. So it's a clear sign that forgiveness comes from God through his grace. By you participating in this, you testify of your faith in Jesus, confirming your continued love and your devotion to God and committing to forgiving others as you also have been forgiven. We look back into the past to what Jesus did and we thank him for it. We're also reminded in the present that it's God who forgives and God who nourishes us just as a prayer does every day for us. And together we look forward to the future day that we know is coming, the marriage supper of the Lamb at his glorious return, when we'll be invited to the table to feast with him. The grace that's renewed in us is a freely given gift of God to us, who are undeserving, and it's effective through the Holy Spirit in the promise of the word of God. And in the forgiveness that we pray for in our daily prayers, we can be reminded of this. Now here at New Life, we celebrate communion on the first Sunday of each month. Let this not become a routine exercise because it is a monthly thing, 
but let it be a time of receiving grace through appreciating and understanding the richness, the rich forgiveness that's afforded to you. 1 Corinthians 11 reads this. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. As you heard in God's word, just like the prayer from Matthew 6, the communion is for those that follow Christ, those that have received his forgiveness for them and in turn forgive others. If you're not a follower of Christ, please do not take the communion as you would drink judgment upon yourself. If, however, through our service today, you recognize Jesus as your savior, who has taken your debt and given forgiveness to you, then we invite you into the family of God to partake together with us and ask that you'll also make yourself known to one of the ministry directors or myself at the conclusion of the service. So for followers of Jesus, the communion is for those who are not under current church discipline, for those who are not living in unrepentant sin. So the command is to examine yourselves before coming forward to receive the communion. If you live in repentance and by faith in the grace of God, then by all means come forward to receive the communion today. So New Life's ministry directors will be at the front of each aisle, so I'll invite the ministry directors to come forward. And we'll also have one who will be attending to the serving volunteers that are gonna be on stage uh, in the multimedia room, the children's ministry, and also um, the parents that are in the parents' room as well.